So we thank you in the name of the Savior, Jesus. Amen. Okay, we're in a series on the book of James, and this is our second, um, second stab at uh, this book, and we'll be here for a number of weeks. So James chapter 1, we're looking at verse 13 through 18, and if you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to take the one that's in uh, the rack in front of you and use that and use it as we uh, walk through the sermon, because it's so, just so helpful to walk through the text as we read it together and then as... Um, I preach on this text, James chapter 1, verse 13, and then going through verse 18. <clears throat> so let's stand together at the reading of God's word. James chapter 1, beginning with verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures you may be seated and let's take a moment to reflect on God's word At this point, we'll dismiss the kindergartners and first graders. <clears throat> James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he was a leader in the early church. 
and his specific assignment was to be the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. You remember Peter gives his great uh, sermon at Pentecost and 3,000 people believe the sermon I'm still waiting to come forward out of me. Uh, this one sermon and 3,000 people believe and so we've got a mega church on day one. And so James is the person who's given the assignment, hey James, you pastor this church. And so he's the pastor of the church and he's pastoring this church probably for uh, 20 to 30 years and at the end of his life he's killed for his faith. And during this 20 or 30 year period, it's a very volatile sort of hostile situation so much that many of his congregants, many of his members have to scatter out into different places in fear of their own lives. And so he comes alongside and he's trying to encourage and and help these members of his church. And we're not surprised that the very first thing he covers in his letter is about trials or tests and we see that in verse 2 count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds you can already see that that's the direction he's going with what's happening in this congregation they're immediately coming into the faith and then immediately encountering tests and trials and so he's saying i want to just hit the the big problem head on so we can uh, work on this together and then he moves somewhat subtly into another topic, very similar, uh, temptation. And the first thing I want you to notice really is just the key verse is verse 16. Do not be, de- be deceived, my beloved brothers. He, he's the pastor who's coming forward and you get a sense of his urgency and you get a sense of his passion. He's coming to his congregation. He's just talked about tests or trials and he's coming alongside and he says, okay, now, now you hold on to my hands. I, w- I want to be looking you in the eye. I want to I I exhort you as much as I can. I want you to understand that when I start talking about temptations, you're gonna, it's just easy to be deceived. So when I talk about it, you've, you've got to be paying attention. You've got to be leaning forward. You've got to be looking at it because it's easy for me to get deceived. It, it'd be easy for you to get deceived as a new believer. I'm, I'm making a shift away from tests or trials to temptations, and I don't want you to be deceived. And so as I studied this passage this week, I, I, I thought of James as like a, an anatomy professor and he's bringing his congregation into the lab and he's unzipping that uh, plastic bag. You remember when you dissected a, what do they dissect? A cat or a frog or a pig or something, you know, whatever those things are you dissect and just smells, you know, as soon as you open the bag, you're like, Oh, and what is it? Formaldehyde or whatever that keeps that thing going or not going for weeks at a time. And he, he, he pulls open the drawer, he pulls out the bag, he, he gets his congregation around, he, he unzips the bag and he pulls out temptation. And he says, okay, here's what we need to do. We need to, we need to cut through all the layers of temptation. I, I want you to see how temptation works. I want you to see every layer to it. It's critical that we look closely. And so think of yourself this morning as, a, as in a lab, you got your safety goggles on in case something happens, you won't lose your sight. And, and we're leaning forward together and we're, we're taking a look at this monster. It's called temptation. 
And it's important that you take a good look. It, it's important that you pay attention. It's, it's important that you lean over. Because we're just going to dissect sort of this, this idea of tempta- temptation. But when you leave the lab, you're going to get a real one. You're, you're going to face a real monster. You might be facing it right in the middle of this sermon. But for sure, you're going to face them and you're going to face it continually. So you've got to understand what it looks like, how it operates. So as you encounter it, you know how to uh, counterbalance what's happening in your mind particularly so the first detail i want us to pick up on and and you don't see it in the uh in the um english as you would in the greek but james uses the same greek word especially the same root word for trials or tests as he does for temptations you see in verse 2 or verse 12 blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial or test That word for trial or test is the same word as verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. So it's the it's the same word. But but James is he's using the same word in in a different way. And it's important to know the difference. A trial or a test is. An outward circumstance designed to bring you to maturity and eventually lead you to the crown of life. We talked about that last week. The, the picture that we wanted to have in our mind for this test is, you remember the analogy, the word picture that we used last year? It's like when you're bringing a precious metal out of the ground, it comes out in an ore form. It doesn't come out as gold it comes out embedded in what's called ore. Or, and so this gold has a lot of waste rock around it or a lot of impurities. And it's not as beautiful as it should be. It's not as strong as it could be. And so the, the person handling the metal has to put it underneath heat, has to put it underneath pressure in order to get the waste products away so it really can be used. It can really be beautiful. And God is constantly bringing these events into our lives to help peel away impurities, to help peel away sort of this waste rock in our lives so that we could really be beautiful. We could really be useful. And as as that process takes on and it goes all the way through your life, you never get to the end, the, the picture that keeps us moving through these trials, through these tests, is that one day you receive the crown of life. That's, that's a test. That's a trial. It's an outward circumstance. It's meant to bring you to maturity. It's meant you to bring you to life. A temptation is an inner enticement to sin. A temptation is an inner enticement to sin, and it leads somewhere as well. A test is meant to lead somewhere, lead to maturity, lead to life. And a temptation, verse 15, when sin is fully grown, it leads to or brings forth death. And one of the challenges is when you're trying to look at trials and temptations is that they always show up together. They're like a package deal. Every trial is accompanied by or with a temptation. And so you have to 
define those two things, you have to understand which one is which here because you can easily get confused. So I want to give you an example from this book that a number of us read a couple of years ago, uh, which is called The Enemy Within. We have a couple of copies in our library. Just an excellent book about how sin operates in your mind and how to move away from that. And the author is a guy named Chris Lungard. And he opens his book giving this uh, very familiar story, a true story to him. All I wanted to do was surprise my wife. Since we had moved in our new house almost a year ago, the refrigerator door handle had been on the wrong side. I had put off moving it because of my clumsiness with mechanical things. And I was like, yes, this guy's speaking my language. I was halfway through the job. I had the refrigerator and freezer doors off. I wanted to get them back on soon so nothing would spoil. I was at a pivotal step of swapping the hinges when I realized that each hinge was fastened by two Torx screws. Two lousy Torx screws. There is only one tool in the universe that can safely remove a Torx screw. You, you hear what he's saying? I tried all kinds of tools. And there's only one that can remove it, and it's a torque screw or a torque socket, and I did not have a torque socket. Right then, my three young boys decided to move their traveling sibling rivalry show into the middle of my angst. Okay, you you see the outward circumstance? You see, it's a test. The guy's trying to do something for his wife. He's a little bit hurried. He's got these doors off, cold air's pouring into his kitchen. Things are starting to melt and spoil, and he's trying to get the thing done, and he gets to sort of a critical point where I feel like I'm going to turn a corner, and right when he feels like he's going to turn a corner, ah, I can't get these two torque screws out. And right when he realizes this, daddy! three kids wander into this event. So, so that's the outward circumstance. That's the test. But is that all that's happening there? Oh, no, no, no. Everyone here knows there's also an inward, something inward is happening. And he shares what is happening inwardly with himself. I lost it. I let them have it. They stared at me as if I were a monster from Alpha Centauri. While I ranted in some unknown tongue. In mid-fit, I had an out-of-body experience. I saw my contorted red face screaming at my charming boys, and I knew at once I was doing something evil. So did I stop and ask for forgiveness? No. Oh, no. It felt as if something had control of me. It was as if an alien had invaded my body and was forcing me to do his bidding. You see what happens? I mean, we, we, we understand that. We can laugh about that because you understand that this test here is accompanied by a real temptation, something that's happening on the inside to, to draw you in a particular direction. So every test is accompanied. It has a partner. It's going to be a temptation. If you have wealth, that's a test. That's a temptation. If you don't have very much money, it's a test. It's a temptation. If you've found the love of your life, 
or you've lost the love of your life. It's a test. It's a, it's a temptation. If you sit next to the smartest kid in your physics class and you walk in on Monday morning and the teacher says, okay, everything off your desk, pop quiz. At that moment, you're going to get a test and a temptation. When you sit down and you do your taxes and you have all your W-2 forms and your receipts around and you start filling in, well, how much, exactly how much did you give this year, Mr. Phillips, when I fill in that box? It's a test. But it's a temptation. So all of these things, they're, they're coming at us and they're coming at us as partners and we have to, to know the difference. And one of the things that's so helpful for us one of one of the most important parts of looking at these things is that we when we encounter these we need to be sure not to confuse the occasion for temptation with the cause of temptation let me say that again we when we come into these situations or maybe these situations come to us we we don't want to confuse the occasion for them to the temptation with the cause of the temptation. If I'm sitting next to the smartest kid in the class and I'm unprepared because I haven't done my physics homework in two months and we have a pop quiz and I'm a typical teenager and I go home and report this event to my parents, what am I going to say? My teacher, do you see what's happening? He's confusing. He's confusing the occasion. The occasion was the teacher decided to give a pop quiz, but he's saying, no, 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 the cause was the teacher. No, the cause for me wanting to look at his paper and get the right answer was the inner thing in my life. It didn't have anything to do with the occasion. And so we need to understand that. The the, the occasions for temptation are going to be endless, but there's only one cause for temptation. There'll be all kinds of occasions for it, but there's really just one cause. What is that? Verse 14. Verse 14 tells us the only cause for our temptation, and that is we are lured, we are enticed. We are enticed by our own desire. You, you see, the professor James, he's, he's got us at the table, and he's, he's peeling back, and he's saying, hey, I want to... I want to pinpoint the problem here. It's critical for you to see what the real problem here is. And when he peels back that later layer, what do you see? You. The real problem in temptation is you. You've just got to understand that. That's the truth about temptation. I'm, I'm the real problem because... If, if I don't really understand that, I'm going to be a blame shifter. I'm always going to be shifting it off to something or someone else. If we don't look and say, okay, I just need to acknowledge that down here, I just see myself. Because if we don't see that, then we're going to have the temp- temptation, and it's a mighty strong temptation to blame shift. And this blame shifting started where? Genesis chapter 3. I mean, such a great, great picture. Adam has eaten of the fruit. 
Adam and Eve have. God comes and he says, Adam, Adam, have you eaten of the fruit? What's the right answer, Adam? Yes. Is what's Adam's answer? The woman you gave me. Do you see what happens? He's immediately opened up two exit ramps for himself. Now, it's either the woman's problem or God's problem. But guess whose problem? It's not. It's definitely not my problem. See, I'm, I'm looked down and when I peel back the real problem, I see Eve. Eve. <laughs> She's the problem. Or, hey, you know what's behind her? You. God, God, you might be the problem. You see how easily we can be deceived? When we have these temptations, one of the easiest things is to start opening up these exit ramps to get ourselves off the hook. And just say, well, really, the real problem here really lies over here. There needs to be some address of this situation or this person where really the real problem is me. The, the blame-shifting masters are teenagers. I mean, I don't know what it is, but boy, just in, in a moment's time, it's like they're just uh, top gun. They can just open up every bay at one moment and get themselves out in any number of escape routes. And I just love watching it happen. Not, not when it's happening in my house, but when I watch other teenagers do it. Honey, you know, let's, I don't want you to go to that party tonight. Got that? Okay. Friday night, honey's not home. I, you know, I'll just go by, drive by, make sure. Ah, see my car out there. Honey, did did I tell you not to go to the party? Yeah. Did you go to the party? What's the right answer? Yes. And you know what happened? I, I'm lured and I'm enticed by the need for popularity over my obedience for you, Dad. I'm sorry. Is that what the answer is? Oh, no. That's the right answer, but that is not the answer you usually get. You get the, you don't trust me? You see what's happened? Every other parent lets their kid go to the party. You see, you don't trust me is you have a problem with trust. I mean, let's, maybe we should see a counselor about that. <laughs> and every other parent means you're not normal. There's something wrong with you, Dad. And plus, the Bible says, train up a child in the way she go. And you're apparently not doing a good job. I'm going in different directions. You've got real issues. Go to your room. Take some time out. Think about your life, Dad. You see what happens? They just immediately open up every bay. So at the end of the conversation, I need punishment. And I'm not the problem. And, and it's just so easy. And it's so funny at this level. But James, it's so serious. It's serious because it has deadly consequences. He tells us that you can easily be deceived. You can easily really think with all the, the, the might in your soul to say, I'm not the problem. Something or someone else is the problem. And it's so easy to say, God's the problem. So he's so clear 
Let no one say when you're being tempted that God's the problem. God is going to provide all kinds of tests. And they may be difficult ones. I'm not trying to minimize the difficulty of them. But alongside of them is the condition of your own heart. And you can easily be enticed and you can easily fall. And then when you get into that fallen state, you want to look back and say, well, you know, really it's somebody else's problem or maybe it's even God's problem. Second thing we see in verse 14, these desires, uh, James calls them, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Probably in your... um, version if you have a different version it says either lusts or it might say evil desire and this is a difficult greek word to translate we've talked about this before the greek word is epithemia it's an epi desire it's an over desire it's not always a desire for something bad it's quite frequently a a good desire that's been morphed into a god desire does that make sense it's taking something that you desire and then making it into a demand. It's taking something like food, which was, there's nothing wrong with food, and an over-desire is then gluttony. There's nothing wrong with sex, but an over-desire is lust or pornography. There's nothing wrong with money, but an over-desire leads to greed. There, there's nothing wrong with wanting order in your life or in a certain situation but an over-desire is your control freak. And so it's something that dominates. It's something that you would hear yourself in your mind say, if, if this situation does not work out this way, then I can't go on. If I cannot have this thing, this relationship, this home, this career, then, then I can't move forward. When you have that feeling, when you have those thoughts in your mind, then you've taken a desire. Could have been a good desire. Many times it was a good desire. But it's become a dominating demand. And you should know yourself well enough that you can take any good thing and make it into a God thing. You can make any desire turn into a demand very quickly. So, so the next thing James does is he wants to, to dissect this tissue really uh, very carefully for us. And so we need to look what he does. He, he, he first says here in verse 14, you're, you're lured or you're enticed. You're enticed is a, a sexual word. It means uh, you have a relationship with God, but another lover has come in. And when the, when the other lover walks in the door... And you're following the other lover now. And the other lover makes demands, makes, gives commands, and now you're off of what God has been wanting and you're on to whatever this, this other lover may be. And I think James is picking up in uh, this Old Testament picture because so frequently you remember, especially when we talk through the book of Jeremiah, that the relationship that God so frequently uses between himself and his people is a marriage, is a, is a love relationship. And when he looks down on his people and his people are wandering off, you know what God says? Hey, you're cheating on me. We, we had a relationship. But I walk in and you're... you're 
you're in bed with somebody else. I mean, you were, you were my bride, and what's happened? Jeremiah chapter 2 and 3. I, I remember the devotion of your youth. I, I remember how as a bride you loved me, but you've forgotten your wedding ornaments. You've, you've forgotten your ring. My people have forgotten me. I mean, have you seen what Israel has done? She has actually gone up on every high hill where everyone can see and she's committed adultery. And I thought that after she had done this, she would return. But she didn't. That's, that's the picture that James has. It's the same Old Testament imagery as is something has, has enticed you. And then he says, it's lured you. Or again, in some translation, it, it's dragging you away. It, it's walked in, and not only does it have your attention, it's got you by the hair, and it's dragging you away. And you feel like, I don't have any control over this anymore. And I wonder if you've ever felt that way. Something else came in, and what it feels like is I can't help it. Just like Chris Lungard, he, he sort of had this outer body experience. He knew what the right thing to do was, but he felt like some alien force had come in, and now he's just being dragged away. One of the easiest ways to be deceived in temptation is to kid yourself into thinking, it's no big deal. I mean, if you think it this week, or maybe even right now, yeah, I guess it's a problem, but it's no big deal. That should be like the five alarm fire. Whoop, 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 whoop. Got a big problem, Paul. How do I know? I just said that was no big deal. No, it's a big deal. It may not look like a big deal right now, but it's getting its claws in you. It's going to drag you away. And James continues then sort of peeling back these layers. He's continuing to use this sexual metaphor, verse 15. Desire, this desire actually conceives. It, it's implanted largely in your mind. And you feel like, I must have this. And if something doesn't change that sense of what your mind thinks, then this desire is going to give birth. And you and your lover are going to hook up and you're going to have a kid. And the kid is going to be sin. Sin is just, I'm walking away from God. I I've, I've see it. I've been lured and, and, and enticed. I now must have that in order to be happy or satisfied or complete. And God, you know what? You just got to take a back seat right now. And so you, you give birth to sin... And this sin, then you have a grandchild. If it's able to fully develop, it brings forth death. And I think at this point, if you were in the lab, James would want this to be like this last layer that you cut open and just this smell comes out that just is repulsive. He wants you to go, oh! cannot look at that i cannot smell that i cannot deal with that it's something that's so ugly 
that I just don't want to deal with. You see, you can get something just implanted. It can be like a one-night stand with a problem with self-control. But if it fully matures, it leads to gambling or food or alcohol addictions. I just have this one little implanted problem with anger. But if it's fully matured, you, you unload on your family. You unload on your friends. Well, I just, one little implanted problem with surfing the internet. You always remember that site. You think, that's oh, no big deal. And then it leads to a, an addiction and pornography. One, one little desire that moves over into a demand leads to destruction. If you're old enough here, you know how this has happened in so many people's lives. Hey, I, I never thought that would have ever happened to me. I never thought that would have ever happened to him or her. But, but one little thing gets implanted and if it's not addressed right away and it's able to fully grow, it, it really will lead, in some cases, to physical death. Certainly, it can lead to relational destruction. It can lead to spiritual destruction. It can lead to all kinds of destruction and death. And so James is, is trying to help his people see it. He's trying to help them say, take this seriously. I, I want you to lean forward. I want you to have a, a deep breath of this stench of death so you won't be deceived. Before I read these final two verses, 17 and 18, I thought I would just pause here because um, God could be speaking to you right now. I mean, you thought you were coming to church, but you came to a lab. You came to an anatomy lab. You looked on the table, and guess who was getting dissected? You were. And God could be saying something right now from these words written 2,000 years ago saying, hey, it's, this is you. I brought you here today to hear this. I didn't bring it for your husband or wife or your friend who you're going to get the CD for. I, I, brought it for. I brought this for you. You're the one that when you cut it open and you look and you say, oh, yeah, yeah it's their problem. You're the one who's got the little small and planted problem that right now you're just saying, it's just not that big of a deal. You're the one that's taken a, a good desire, but you've made it into a demand. And, and I wonder, you, you look so beautiful from up here, but if I had a scalpel and, and I just sliced through the, the first layer and we could open you up, what, you know, what would we find what would you see if that happened in reverse? Would we find you sleeping with somebody else? I mean, would we say you've taken a good thing and made it into a, a God thing, a, a desire has turned into a dominating demand? 
you're shifting blame. You're saying it's no big deal. What is that for you? How is God speaking to you? Don't be deceived, verse 16. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. It's, it's coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, no shadow due to a changing. Of his own will, he brought us forth and still is bringing people forth by the word of the truth or the gospel that we can be a kind of first fruit, a, a, a new creature you see, I, I want to close with this good news that no matter your present condition, no matter what you see in yourself that I can't see, God's longing to reconnect. God's longing to come back. He's longing to say, you're here not just to expose that, for, but to, for us to get reconnected. He's the father of all light. In other words, he sees everything. You, you may not even see everything in your own heart, but, but nothing is hidden from him. He, he sees every other competitor. He, he sees every other lover, and yet he's still longing to give you a good gift. He's still longing to give you this perfect gift. He's the God who never changes. There's no variation. There's no shadow, and that's why I can promise you that you can come to a God that, who will never be unwilling he will never be unable. He will, he will never be unavailable because He never changes. When I came forward with all of my mess and all of my death, He was available and He's still available for you and He's still available for me as I come back and say, I'm still dealing with this thing, Lord. And notice the good news by His own will. Totally independent of your effort, He's able to give you a whole new life. And this happens when you hear the gospel that Jesus Christ came into the world in the person, or God came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ and He is owning your death. And He is giving to you His life. If you don't know about Him today, but you do see, you feel exposed, you do know your need, then this can be the day of salvation. This can be the day that you say, I, I've been exposed. I, I do see my need. There isn't something I can fix down here by myself. I must have divine help to come in and do something in me to give me a whole new life. This is the day. I hope you wouldn't leave without asking about that. And if you're here as a believer, J James is talking to believers. This is a letter to his people. He's, he's coming up. He's looking them in the eye. He's holding their hands. He's saying, you can be deceived. You could. You could be deceived. Because you're going to come under some heavy trials in your lifetime. And it would be very easy for you as even somebody in the church to say, God's to blame for this. And he's trying to say, he's not. You, you still have stuff down there 
that needs to be dealt with. You still have desires that are turning into demands. And I'm the one. I'm the one to help you out of this process. You see, the gospel is for your salvation and the gospel is for your sanctification. You have to know that. You have to fall back in love with the gospel so it can blast away all this waste rock and impurity from your life to say, I'm just not useful. I'm not very beautiful because my desires are controlling me and I've really, the truth be known, I'm just being drug off into a different direction and I'm serving a master who's going to put me to death, not one who's going to bring me life. Let's pray together. Lord, there's so, so much in a few verses. I mean, in some sense, we just got into the lab and we put our safety goggles on and it wasn't pretty what we saw but but this is the truth this to know the truth is the first step to real freedom and so something divine has to happen that i can't do by by preaching i can't do it if i held everyone's hand and looked them in the eyes and exhorted them with passion it's got to be something that happens on a divine level And so I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come now. You'd minister to your people. You'd, 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 list, you'd, you'd help them hear you clearly. In Jesus' name.